You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. Good morning. You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network with Father Brian Christensen and Karen Gibas. Broadcasting from the newly dubbed St. John Vianney broadcast booth high above 520 Cathedral Drive here in sunny Rapid City, South Dakota, and the Black Hills. So, welcome to the show. Welcome back. Um, great to have you. Uh, I hope you're enjoying the show as much as I am. Uh, I love just listening to the ways that God works in people's lives and on the riches uh, of His graces and blessings that we see just every day in everyday people, everyday disciples. Um, actively engaged in the relationship with Jesus Christ. We were speaking earlier in the hour with uh, the Director of Catholic Social Services, Jim Kenyon, about Marriage Matters, that retreat coming up in March out at Terra Sancta. You can check out more information on the Terra Sancta website. Um, then just recently, uh, here in this last half hour, visiting with the Director of Evangelization and Catechesis here at the Cathedral, Brett Eckert, and uh, these opportunities for encounter with Jesus Christ, this sharing of the good news, um, the great news uh, of our salvation in the Lord Jesus. And the Alpha course it's uh, coming up here at the cathedral uh, beginning next Thursday, the 24th, the 24th uh, of February. So um, now we have another special treat. Uh, <laughs> this is a cathedral parishioner here, Ken Oreck. Uh, good morning. Welcome to Real Presence Live. Good morning, Father. So uh, tell us a little bit about uh, your journey with Christ and your uh, engagement with the, with the Lord and your involvement here at the parish. Well, first of all, I'd like to say that hearing about Alpha on the radio is great. I've always been a, a big proponent of the Alpha program and been a team leader. And anybody that's interested in that certainly should have, take the opportunity to go through an Alpha at some point in time. But I, uh, I entered the church here at the cathedral through RCIA over 10 years ago, and my family have been active parishioners ever since. Uh, have the opportunity to be involved in several different programs here. Some you've pushed me towards, uh, some uh, I, I found on my own, uh, but most recently uh, working to rework our altar server program and develop our pontifical altar, altar server core so that uh, when the bishop is presiding, we have as much uh, dignity and and uh, honor uh, as possible during those masses. Yeah, no, that's a great, uh, great kind of apostolate that you've been involved with with regard to uh, learning so much about um, the liturgy and especially with regard to servers at the altar and uh, a great work that you've done with our young men and women here at the cathedral uh, parish and uh, I'm developing a, a relationship uh, with our bishop, Bishop Peter Mewich, uh through your you know, close proximity to him at the liturgy and helping him out in so many, many different ways. Um, you know, uh, what, what kind of provoked your interest in that liturgy and in the servers? Is there anything particular that kind of sparked your uh, imagination? Well, over the years, you know, I came to the realization that we all know that the, that the Eucharistic sacrifice is the source and summit of, of, our, of our faith, and that's what it all comes down to right there, and having the opportunity to serve at the altar and ensure that, uh, that everything goes smoothly and, and that the priests and the bishop and the deacons have what they need uh, is just a very important thing to me because that's what it all comes down to, that moment, celebrating that sacrifice and, and reuniting us with Christ on a, on a weekly or daily basis. Yeah, no, you, Ken, you uh, reflect a, kind of a thought of my own is that uh, altar server is not like a little decoration uh, on the altar. That's an important, important ministry in the celebration. Because I always say that I mean, if I have confidence 
in my Alta servers, right? If I know that they're going to be the right place at the right time, ready to do what they need to do to, to assist me, then then I don't have to be distracted by that, and I can really focus on on prayer. I can focus my attention on the Lord and the offering of the Mass and to the glory of His name. And and then if I'm more, I think, I'm convinced, if I'm more in tune with Christ and the sacrifice to the Heavenly Father through the power of the Holy Spirit, then, then other people, the, the congregation, the body of Christ is drawn into that sacrifice more fully and more. So altar servers are super important, and I know that you uh, tell them that over and over again, because, yeah, you know, they're sometimes they're... Uh, um, with all due respect, knucklehead, uh, you know, middle schoolers. <laughs> Sometimes, but we've got a wonderful group of young men and women, uh, some which it, it, I really take it as a point of pride seeing some of them rise to the occasion and see some of the younger altar servers that actively participate in our monthly trainings and our altar server boot camps uh, take a lead role and direct kids that are older than them uh, that are, are fumbling with something or not understanding the timing and you've got these younger kids, I got this. Do it. And I get very prideful and of these young men and women. Well, you have a right to be prideful because, uh, full of pride, because of the. I think the the core of those um, high schoolers and some you know young college students, young men and women that are serving, really have taken on responsibilities in the sanctuary and in the sacristy, and and I see them realizing that they're mentors to our younger kids and helping them and really you know properly and uh, kindly um, correcting them and helping them to learn as well. So yeah, no, it's really, it's really been a great, great renovation. So your involvement though, through altar serving and through being a master's of ceremony for um, Bishop Mewich um, also puts you in a moment that kind of precipitated our next conversation and this idea uh, of, of a minor basilica. Um, so just tell us that story of the, the, the origins of this uh, project. So one of my duties uh, when the bishop is presiding is usually to stay within arm's length of him if he needs anything or to take things for him. And and uh, wa- during Holy Week uh, last year, we were walking back up the main aisle after he uh, greeted people uh, as they left Mass. And we stopped in front of the... Uh, the steps to the altar and, and bowed as our tradition calls for. And Bishop looked up at the uh, the icon above our high altar and asked me uh, find out whether or not that icon is the largest reproduction of the original in the world. So the icon of Our Lady Perpetual Help, Correct. which is a stunning, really, truly, authentically written icon it is. Um, of Our Lady of Perpetual Help that dates way back to the 13th century in Crete and then Italy, and now it's in Rome. Um, so what happened after that? So I, uh, a couple of weeks later, I was at the end of a Sunday Mass standing in front of the altar looking up at it, saying, how am I going to tackle this? What am I going to do to show I'm not an art historian and I'm not an icon- iconographer? Uh, and uh, one of the older uh, uh, sacristans in our parish came up to me and said, oh, just call the Redemptress. They'll be able to tell you everything. <laughs> and that sort of started the journey. I got in contact with the archivist of the Redemptorist Order, um, which has a long history and association with this cathedral particularly. Uh, and that sort of started the conversation that ended uh, up with us uh, being suggested to us, uh, have you ever thought of applying for the, your cathedral to be a minor basilica? Good. Yeah, you know, you bring up a couple of things there. One is the Redemptorist connection to Our Lady of Perpetual Help because they've been entrusted with the the original icon in, in the Church of St. Alphonsus Liguori uh, in Rome just 
a stone's throw uh, from the Basilica of St. Mary Major uh, on the Esquiline Hill. So the Redemptors have custody of that, and they've also been um, charged you know, for the last uh, couple centuries with promoting the devotion to Our Lady of Perpetual Help. Bishop McCarty, back in the 1950s, when he was planning for the cathedral uh, here, the new cathedral in Rapid City to be built, what many people said, out in the prairie. Uh, at that time in Rapid City, you know, a Fairmont Boulevard and Cathedral Drive, which it would eventually become, uh, was at the southernmost end of of, of civilization <laughs> <It was. laughs> in Rapid City. There was nothing going south. There's nothing but prairie all the way south, uh, in you know, down to Hermosa and down into Hot Springs, really. I mean, like, this was the wilderness. And so Bishop McCarty is a redemptorist priest. He was. And so, so he was deeply connected to Our Lady Perpetual Help and got permission from the Holy See to name the new cathedral, um, Our Lady Perpetu- Our Lady Perpetual Help. Um, what did you uh, What did you find out in your research about uh, about the icon itself? Well, we found out with definitively that it's the largest in North America, um, and the, according to the archivist and, and the members of the order and their research, they believe it's the largest in the world. Um, this icon uh, exists and has existed, like you said, since the, the 14th century, uh, and a lot of places in the world have a great devotion to Our Lady of Perpetual Help. Uh, the Philippines in particular have a national shrine uh, to Our Lady, or as they say, Our Mother of Perpetual Help in, in the Philippines. Uh, so we've been able to show that. It appears that when this icon was created, the, the copy of ours, which is significantly larger than the original sure. icon, um, that it was touched to the original icon, and it was blessed in in, in Rome and, and uh, went through that process before it journeyed across uh, the oceans to here out in the prairie. So uh, it's very interesting. Uh, the more I learn about the icon, and, you know, it's one of those things as a parishioner, you, you sit in the pews and you look up at that icon, and sometimes you see something different every time. People see different color backgrounds depending on where they're sitting or the time of day. Uh, it's just so ripe with some symbols and uh, signs that all have a different meaning that when you dig deeper into it, uh, really brings it to life and, and brings its message of that relationship between Mary and her son Jesus to us. Now, we're here broadcasting high above 520 Cathedral Drive, uh, just adjacent here to the beautiful Cathedral of Our Lady Perpetual Help that was dedicated in, on May 7th, 1963, uh, and consecrated to uh, Our Lady Perpetual Help by Bishop McCarty himself. Um, but now we're talking about the idea of a basilica. So we have some terminology. We have churches, parish churches. We have shrines. You mentioned the shrine to a Mother of Perpetual Help in the Philippines. We have a cathedral here, um, and we have uh, a basilica is what we're pursuing here. Um, when, when we come back from the break, when we come back from the break, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have you kind of sort through that for us and say, what is it that the cathedral parish and the diocese of Rapid City is pursuing in this process uh, of, of a basilica? Um, what does that mean? What does that entail? And how do we get there? So we'll do that right after the break. We're speaking with Ken Ork, parishioner here at the Cathedral of Our Lady Perpetual Help, and spearheading this uh, process towards um, maybe, possibly, having the Holy See declare Our Lady of Perpetual Help uh, Basilica here in Western South Dakota. We'll see you on Real Presence Live on the other side of the break. Come on back. Come on back. 
Stay with us. There's more Real Presence Live to come on the Real Presence Radio Network. This is Dr. Ryan Sapo with Lumen Vision in Fargo. Lumen Vision specializes in pediatric eye care and vision therapy. We partner with a national infant eye exam program called Infant C, which provides eye exams for any baby under 12 months old. Many of the major childhood eye problems, such as lazy eyes, eye turns, and ocular diseases, can be detected in this early intervention exam. Infant C eye exams can be scheduled online at www.lumen.vision. Lumen Vision is a proud supporter of babies everywhere and a proud sponsor of Real Presence Radio. Hello, this is Mike Kidrowski, Director of Advancement for Real Presence Radio with a creative gift planning tip. Do you want to make sure Real Presence Radio continues to receive your support in perpetuity? This can now be accomplished by establishing an individual endowment account in your name with a minimum gift of $10,000. A distribution will be made annually in your name to assure future generations will continue to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ through the mission of Real Presence Radio. To learn more about establishing an individual endowment for Real Presence Radio, a gift which will last in perpetuity, Please call me, Mike Kidrowski, at 701-290-4503. State tax credits may apply in some states. Let's get started. Rose Management is a family-owned business that believes in good morals, doing the right thing, and treating our residents as family. Rose Management provides housing to complexes throughout North Dakota and Minnesota. All Rose Management's properties and our maintenance staff are in a centralized location in their cities. For questions, Rose Management can be reached at 701-237-6840 or online at rosemanagement.net. Again, that number is 701-237-6840. You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. Good morning. We're uh, broadcasting here from Our Lady of Perpetual Help in beautiful Black Hills of South Dakota. I'm Father Brian Christensen. I'm Karen Gibis. And we're talking with Ken Oreck, who is a very active uh, disciple here at the Cathedral of Our Lady of Perpetual Help, involved in uh, our liturgical ministries, leading our altar servers and training, uh, being a master of ceremonies to our bishop, um, involved in our Alpha um, program as a as a leader and uh also here spearheading uh, this really exciting um initiative to consider uh, that the holy see might name um the cathedral of our lady perpetual help a basilica so ken before the break we were talking about cathedrals and basilicas and churches and What's a basilica? Yeah, we have our own language, don't we? Yes, we, have, we do. We have words <laughs> that I continually sometimes need to work, uh, look up to understand. But a basilica is a church. It's a chapel. It can be a cathedral, a mission. But it's some place that a pope, uh, the Vatican, have decided is, is a special place in the life of the universal church. So this might be because something significant in history occurred there. For example, St. Paul outside the walls in Rome, which is one of the four major uh, basilicas, is where Paul was executed. 
And it, it's something special happened in that place. It became a place of pilgrimage and veneration. Others might be because of a specific work of art, uh, icons, uh, a saint's association with that location or church. But basilicas have been recognized by the church as a place worthy of traveling to, of praying at, and of, uh, of seeing at some point in your life. And uh, the pilgrimages that occur around the world to these different basilicas uh, draw people in deeper in their relationship with Christ. Uh, and so they, they're set aside by the church. Uh, they're given certain designations. Um, they're getting certain items that are displayed within them. Um, and once that status is granted, it's never taken away. Mm. You don't have to reapply every year to be a basilica or, or they come in and inspect you. Once uh, the Pope has recognized your location as worthy to set aside as a basilica, then you hold that honor for for, for perpetuity. Perpetuity. Uh, no, that's a great explanation of the basilica. Like it's a place, a pilgrimage. Whether because there's a saint, a historic event in the life of the church, a, a devotion, um, something special that the church universal says this is a place to go. Right. This is a place where you can meet Christ, the example of Christ, um, in the saints, in the devotions that are here. Um, so what is the kind of thinking that, you know, that the cathedral here in western South Dakota um, would be worthy of pilgrimage? Like, why why would the church say, yeah, this is, should be designated a basilica and worthy of your attention as well, a Christian. it all comes down to one thing. It's not our great location, which we know is a great location, and people want to pilgrimage here even if it's not to come to the church <laughs> to visit the Black Hills. It's not because uh, we have exceptional uh, clergy members, though we do here uh, to do that, but it all comes down to that icon. Mm-hmm. That icon holds a special place in the church, and being as far as we can tell at this point, the largest reproduction of that icon, which makes its details so clear to anybody that looks at it and things you might miss in the smaller icon, which is maybe 11 inches by 18 inches. It, it's the size of a big piece of paper yeah. as compared to, to our icon that is, is so visible that anyone sitting uh, in the cathedral can see those images and can see those symbols. It comes down to that. And the miracles that have been attributed to Our Lady of Perpetual Help and her role in teaching us about her son and the relationship between Jesus's mother and son it's just incredibly strong and has a, a very deep connection with Christians and with members of the Catholic Church. And it tells us several stories as you look at it. It tells us the story of Mary being a loving mother. And she's really the mother to this child, Jesus portrayed as a child. But it also shows Jesus looking forward at, at his faith. And the concern, uh, you know, being brought to him and you can see in his faces as he sees what his future is. And he sees uh, the archangels above uh, Mary's shoulders with the, the symbols representing what's going to happen later in his life. Um, and one of the things that is adored by many people and that sort of brings it to life, people don't notice necessarily right away, is Jesus's shoe. It's falling off his foot. It's as if he's run from what he saw as, as his future. And as a child, he's fearful, and he runs to his mother. And he's sort of telling us we should run to our mother when we're scared, when we're in trouble. And we run so fast, you may lose your shoe as you're doing it. Uh, so that icon really is what sets this place apart. Um, 
you know, throughout the world, there's about 1,800 basilicas, 1,800, 1,820. Um, they range from cathedrals um, to, uh, in my hometown in Ventura, California, a small mission church that was founded by St. Winnipeg Sarah in 1782. is the most recent uh, location in the United States that I can see that was granted uh, basilica status. And here's an adobe-walled, uh, small uh, church on the on the coast of California, and in other places you might find large cathedrals or large places of pilgrimage. You'd mentioned the before. There's a difference between a major and a minor basilica. There's only four major basilicas, and they're all located in Rome. And uh, you mentioned, or I mentioned before, St. Paul's outside the walls. Uh, you have St. Mary Major. You have St. Peter's. People don't realize St. Peter's is a basilica. It's not a cathedral. But the cathedral of St. John Lantern, which is the cathedral for the Diocese of Rome, is a basilica also. So those four compose our set of major basilicas, and the other 1,800 or so throughout uh, the world are minor basilicas. So essentially when we say the word basilica, all the other ones outside of those four in Rome are all considered minor basilicas. We just, just don't generally say that correct correct okay so uh pretty exciting you know this uh, idea that the church the holy father may uh, consider the possibility that uh that the cathedral here because of the devotion to our lady perpetual help because of this really colossal icon uh as you describe it so beautifully uh to our lady uh, presenting her son to us what's the process to to even get the Holy Father to consider this? Where do we, how do you start and what do you need to have in place to present this, the case, I guess, uh, for a basilica? So it sort of goes full circle back to where we started with a conversation with Bishop Peter. And uh, after speaking to the Redemptorists and them telling uh, us that this was a good idea, and, and we had several phone calls, including with their uh, superior of their orders, we sat here in the broadcast booth and, and spoke to him over the telephone months ago. Um, the, the next step after uh, that is for the bishop to re- request an application through uh, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. They, the individual conferences in the different nations uh, can provide that application. Uh, but one of the things is it comes in Latin. And uh, I'm not as good as Latin, my one-year high school Latin, as, as maybe others should be. So the first step is after you receive that application, after the bishops requested it and it's sent to you, is to get it translated. So the members of the parish can work through it and <clears throat> excuse me, find out uh, what needs to be answered. So we've done that. Uh, there's 119 questions, and it's very detailed. Um, they want to know something that's administrative, like how many priests, how many deacons, how many instituted ministers, acolytes, or lectors do you have? Uh, they want to know how often Mass is held. Are all the sacraments being uh, practiced and, and, and received within this um, parish or this specific church? And and real advantage we have to that is we are an active parish. We're not a shrine that's sitting out in the middle of, of nowhere that people may journey to, uh, but doesn't have an active parish life the way do, we do. So we have a leg up because we're doing all those things that a, a parish should do. So uh, to further answering those those questions, uh, we formed a, a committee, uh, 
at the beginning here. We're, we're still looking for more people, which I can talk about in a little while. Um, but we're in the process of dividing up those questions. Uh, we need people that have maybe a, an architectural background to help answer uh, the things uh, dealing with the physical building itself. They want to know how tall the ceilings are, how wide it is, how many people it can sit. They want to know, besides the administrative side, all those things. Do you have an AMBO? Do you have a lectern? Are they permanently affixed or are they moved around? Is your altar permanently affixed? What relics are present in the church? So there's a lot of questions there and they need to be answered. Successful applications uh, tend to go back to the Conference of Bishops and through them to Rome in a book format. Uh-huh. They want to see photographs. They want to see schematics and blueprints of the church. They want to have other important things that give them and sway them that this is an important special place in the church so we can grant them that status. And we come into that process and, and this whole question process with another real advantage, and that is we have a book from the 50th anniversary that Father Michael Molloy put together that answers a lot of these questions and photographs that have already been taken and historical documents that have been gathered up that may be in our archives or as we found out in the archives of the Redemptorist Order, uh, which they've offered to share with us. They're joining with us to uh, do this by helping us answer the questions and we're, we're sort of asking them and they've offered to spearhead in speaking about the icon. This icon is in their possession, they have a great adoration to it, and they venerate it on a daily basis. So having them come forward to tell us more about the icon and help us answer that is great. They've literally written the book on the icon, and anybody interested in learning more about the symbology and the symbols and the meaning of the icon, uh, there's a wonderful book called Embracing the Icon of Love by Brother Daniel Korn, Korn spelled with a K, that talks about what that icon means and what the symbols are and what they represent and how uh, Mary and Jesus, through this icon, become real to us and alive and people that we're interacting with on a daily basis. Well, it's, uh, it sounds pretty involved. It sounds uh, pretty exciting. Um, it sounds pretty compre- comprehensive uh, as far as the presentation, not only for the the spiritual uh, aspects of the basilica, but can the basilica handle pilgrims and the welcome of pilgrims and the celebration of the sacraments and the devotions uh, that will come along? Uh, do we have enough bathrooms and gathering spaces and meeting spaces? So just very, very interesting about what the church wants to provide for pilgrims uh, to a potential uh, uh, basilica. So um, we're talking with Ken Oric, uh who's spearheading this beautiful, amazing uh, process uh, to gather the information and make the case uh, that the Cathedral of Our Lady of Perpetual Help may be considered a, a basilica. Um, Ken, we'll have you back on Real Presence Live uh, to uh, discuss the updates and, and where we're going and how we're making advancements uh, here as we go. So thank you very much for joining us today. My pleasure, Father. I appreciate it. Um, and we'll be back soon. What do we got going next, uh, Karen? Next, we're going to meet the new director of the Western South Dakota Catholic Foundation He'll be in studio here at the cathedral, and we'll be discussing his new role and what his vision is for this wonderful organization here in the Diocese of Rapid City. We'll see you after the break. Come on back. 
This is Real Presence Live, where the focus is not on the evil around us, but on conversion and mercy through the good news that is always good. We're local, engaging, and live on the Real Presence Radio Network. 